people thought I was doing something sacrilegious. I'm spoiling tradition. I discovered that the sculpture is like a still photograph of a moving dancer and there is something to proceed and something to follow. Nothing stopped me from continuing my work. Atmakaya Samayogaha Nrittasya Karanam Bhavet Unison of spirit and body in dance makes Karanas. Only she can dare to redefine Karanas. Namaste, I'm Sohini Karanth and this is Indian Artpreneur by Kala Tapasya. On today's episode, we have a research scholar, choreographer, music composer, musician, teacher, indologist, and an author. She's a Padmashri and a Padmabhushan awardee, the goddess herself. Guru, Dr. Padma Subramanian. Namaste, Akka, and welcome to Indian Artpreneur. Namaste. My first question to you is that, how did the community of dancers react? When you were ordained to revive the common marga codes as found in Bhartamuni's Natya Shastra and you presented the world with 108 karanas as not stills but as movement. Well, as William James had uh, written, uh, I'm not quoting him exactly but this is the concept uh, that you find in that uh, statement. Any new theorem is first opposed. And when it becomes popular, the adversaries will say, well, this is obvious. This is how it should have been. And then when it gets too much uh, recognition, the adversaries will say, we only discovered it. This statement of William James seems to be very true in my life. I must say, when I presented my Karanas in my Meenakshi Kalyanam, I had two different reactions. The common man who didn't bother about theory or any known tradition, he and that group of people enjoyed it. And they thought it was something extraordinary. The scholars who knew Natyashastra, who had studied Natyashastra, they thought I was doing something very, very important, reviving a tradition that was gone. So that was there. Those who were in between, or whom you, you can't call such people just lay people, nor can you call them scholars. Such people thought I was doing something sacrilegious. I'm spoiling tradition. So this was the mixed reaction that was there. But anyway, nothing stopped me from continuing my work. And uh, my discovering the dynamic aspect of Karana was in 1963 when my first research article came out in Assam Research Journal, where I was the first to proclaim that a karana is a movement and not, not a static posture. The misunderstanding was because of the sculptures which portray the karana, 
the Karanas were forgotten for about five centuries. And naturally, artists and gurus were very inspired by the sculptures. And they started copying the sculpture in the static attitude. So when I came to the picture, I discovered that the sculpture is like a still photograph of a moving dancer. And there is something to proceed and something to follow. So this is the, well, I put my life work in a few sentences. What made you look deeper into Natya Shastra? Could you tell our listeners the importance of research and theory in classical dance and how one must approach it? Uh, well, uh, I would think uh, for any dancer, practical learning and practical experience is number one. That's the most important thing. Because only in practice, you experience dance at various levels of your own existence. It is your body which experiences it. So it's a physical experience. It's an intellectual experience because you understand which part of the body should move how. There is an emotional level where there is a connection between the physic and the psych. All this is possible only if you are a practical dancer. If you are a pure theoretician, nothing of this is possible. And uh, when I started teaching, when I was only 14, I felt the need to study the text, to understand the theory behind it and put it to practice. I found there was a big gap between theory and practice. And my life's goal became to bridge this gap between theory and practice. Both are important. What roles did your gurus play in your discovery of the Karanas? Well, um, my guru in research, particularly uh, to guide me to see the sculptures and uh, read inscriptions, was uh, Padma Bhushan, Dr. T. N. Ramachandran, who had retired then as Joint Director General of Archaeological Survey of India. So she translated the Nati Shastra to me, and I was not satisfied with just getting to know what Nati Shastra says because they are like formulas. Suppose, you know, if you're a chemistry student, you will know what it is to communicate water. There is a chemical way, chemistry way of communicating. That will not be understood by the common man. So it is like a sutra. So Natishastra was not enough to understand. I had to go into the commentary on Natishastra called Abhinav Bharati written about thousand and odd years ago by Abhinav Gupta from Kashmir. Only when I read the commentary, I could follow Natishastra better. So it was not an easy task. It was all going into what we call in research, primary sources. So the text and the commentary and also the sculptures, the inscriptions related to 
these um, topics are all what are called basic primary sources and uh, for me i didn't have any secondary source because literally mine was a pioneering work so it was not easy and to study the sculptures to study the inscriptions thanks to dr t n ramachandran but he was not a dancer he had he had been a scholar a multilinguist but uh, he had great uh, sensitivity for art but he was not an artist himself so when i got this guidance from an archaeological and literary point of view as a dancer i could immediately understand that it is a movement and not a posture and when i told uh, my uh, guru in guide uh, who guided me that it's a movement and not a posture he was so elated he was so happy he said this is something i would call a discovery because if you're just a scholar you would never understand this and if you're just a dancer you would never relate to this text so it was uh, for the first time uh, as i said the text got translated into practice so when i showed him how the movement should have been my research guru was so happy he immediately took the car and went to other scholars that day and said you know what my student very loving and sincere student padma discovered that karana is a movement and to say this he went all over he was a great guru person who really gave out everything never you know some gurus who feel insecure they don't give everything but he was not like that he was a very great man a paternal uh, sincere love he had towards his pupils and he appreciated uh, a student's uh, input i was just a student at that time but when i came out with this idea he jumped at it could you talk about the key initiatives taken by the bharata ilango foundation for asian culture under your leadership well when i went eastwards i found that uh, bharata muni's mask is kept in every theater they have a special room not the green room but another room for worshiping and they have masks of brahma vishnu shiva and bharata muni and they offer uh, incense flowers some fruits and one day after offering all this they open the green room for artists so they still remember the adi guru of performing arts and i felt honestly ashamed that in the land of uh, his origin yeah. we almost forgot bharata muni so this thought was in my mind that i should create a memorial shrine for bharata muni and create a place where artists philosophers and thinkers can interact from asia from asian level because i found that natyashastra was a 
fountainhead of the performing arts of entire Asian continent and not just Indian subcontinent alone. Years ago, some decades ago, when I pronounced that Natya Shastra is a common text for the entire Indian subcontinent, many eyebrows were raised. But as I went deeper into the text, and when I went eastward for my performances and discovered the presence of Natya Shastra in many parts of Asia without their awareness, they don't know they're following Natya Shastra, but elements of Natya Shastra are still found all over Southeast Asia, and I would even go up to Japan. So this gave me the thought that I must do something on a pan-Asian level. And for this, I must say the, uh, the divine personality who opened my eyes towards the entire Asian continent was His Holiness Kanchi Mahaswami. The 68 Shankaracharya of Kanchi Kamakotipitam. I was his ardent devotee, and uh, he had given many ideas about his common links, and that is why I wanted to establish something like this. And I must say, Dr. Jayalalitha, who was not only a politician but a great artist in her own way, a dancer also, yeah. she understood the value of my dream. And she said, I, I share your dream. And she gave, uh, uh, she allotted five acres land officially. And uh, I must confess, after uh, she laid down office as chief minister, uh, Sri Karunanidhi, who was also just not a politician, but an artist in his own right, a poet writer, he uh, also understood the pan-Asian value of uh, my thought and he continued that uh, legacy of patronage and in fact he came and inaugurated the uh, making of the sculptures of 108 Karanas. So people understand that I have nothing to do with politics. My The smallest world that I can think of is definitely at Asian level and India is part of Asia. Of course, my my motherland is my my first love. And what makes me feel so proud is that India has its imprints even today in many other parts of the world. For instance, I found when I went to Thailand, I could uh, realize that the Tamil literature called Tirupave and Tiruvempave are still present in Thailand. They have a special festival. And this was discovered by Kanchi Mahaswami. And he had spoken about it some 60 years ago. So I wanted to discover, rediscover that. And I went and saw that even the palm leaf manuscript is still present with the Tamil literature, well preserved in the Hindu temple there. And uh, when I presented uh, Tirupave Tiruvambave as part of India Festival in Bangkok, you'll be surprised to know that I could involve 
the dancers of Thailand in the last scene, we performed together. So this is uh, one more uh, link straight from Tamil Nadu to the island. So such things need to be made known. There's enough disharmony in the world. So what we artists should do is try to harmonize, bring in harmony, human harmony is something very, very important. And only then you can validate every language, every culture, and find the underlying unity. And at uh, the Bharata Ilango Foundation um, for Asian Culture, we have created uh, a new set of 108 Karana sculptures designed by me. Each panel has Shiva and Parvati. And I've animated, making use of two dancing figures, I've animated. And these designs were made by me for Satara Uttara Chidambaram Nataraja Mandir, which was built at the behest of Kanchi Swami some 25 years ago. And uh, those designs which I made for Satara Temple miraculously tallied with 9th century sculptures of Java. And this brought in um, new inputs into the concept of and presence of Natyashastra in that part of the world. And uh, what I designed completely tallied with the Javanese version. And the Javanese version was something which I didn't know that existed. It was again Kanchi Mahaswami who told me when I, I, I used to take every design that I made, the line drawings will be shown to him. And only after he approves, I would pass it on to the sculptor. This was for Satara project, Uttara Chidambaram Natarajamandir project. At that time, he told me, if you have not seen Indonesia, go once. I didn't know why. I didn't know the reason. The Satara project took 12 years to complete. And only after Kanchi Mahaswami's uh, Mahasamadhi, mm -hmm. I discovered I, I could go to Indonesia. And then only it came to light that my designs were very, very close to what had already existed in the 9th century in Indonesia. It was a miracle in my life. And this miracle happened because of the grace of Kanchi Maraswami. You've learned under multiple gurus from Srimati Kausalya at Nityodaya when you were young to Srimati Gauri Ammal to various Devdasis under whom you learned 150 different adhus. Could you tell us how learning from different gurus inspired and influenced your journey as a young dancer? Do you think it is important for dancers to learn from several gurus? Um, so because I started teaching at 14, that was because Dhritya uh, Dance School was uh, founded by my father, film director K. Subramanian, who was also a freedom fighter. He founded the school uh, on charitable basis. And uh, he was also running a free hostel 
and buying even costly he could uh, bring out a whole set of young good teachers way back in early 40s and when i had my arangetram in 1956 soon after my arangetram my father said the best charity is vidya dana you have to share your knowledge and uh, annadanam is number 1 because when you feed them when you give them food that's the only charity where uh, the person whose tummy is filled filled already will say no no it's enough enough any other charity that you do even if it is a car which is given the person will think i i wish i get one more car but you can't say give me one more roti when you are full so anadanam is the best charity second to that is charity of education you give vidyadanam and uh, my father said share whatever you know you share and first uh, batch of uh, my students were orphans my went my father went to orphanage with three four orphanages and selected children who whom he thought had a potential so about 20 25 orphan children were my first students and in that teen age you can understand how my mind was being shaped for just not dance alone human values were automatically you know that was growing in me and i am thankful to my parents for that so when i started teaching i felt there was something that i was missing even while learning for instance those days you can't ask questions what is the name there must be some name for this gesture is there any name this is not a question you can ask if i had thirst for knowledge i mean i should only repeat like a parrot no questions can be asked i was you know treated like a, a upstart <laughs> they'll call me an upstart it was not respect to ask question hmm. but then i started reading on my own translations of abhinay darpanam and things like that prepared notes for my students when i was 14 and i found great joy in this i love teaching because teaching is a process of learning so this is how i developed a, a sense of bridging the gap between theory and practice and that got stuck to my mind and that's what i do till today i and my first guru kausalya she didn't teach me all this she only taught me my adus and one holds one margam she taught me and i was too young and she was uh, she belonged to the first batch of nrityodaya students she had graduated from there i used to just treat her like an elder sister i'll run and sit on her lap and say i won't dance unless i am given a chocolate <laughs> <laughs> so that was the kind of relationship with my first guru then her guru 
Balur uh, Ramya Pillai, who is also a teacher at uh, Rityodaya, took over and he conducted Marangetram also. After that, I went under several teachers. When I started research, I felt I have to weave the scattered material. And it was the great E. Krishna Iyer who presented me Natishasra book. And his signature is there. And uh, he said, you must collect the adavas which are there in different paddhati, vadi, vadur, pandanalur, tanjavur, shikkal. Like this, you know, there are different masters and each uh, ma master had preserved uh, a set of adavas. What is missing in one can be seen in another. And the Bhagavatamela Adavas, again, that is another dream. So it was E. Krishnaya who told me, you first collect and weave the scattered material. Bring it all together. So I started doing that. And I went and met so many Devadasis from whom I learned nuances. Like uh, even, you know, the neck movement like this, more than the Natvanas, it was the Devadasis who, who could teach me the nuances of the art. So it was a great experience to go and meet all of them and uh, many of them. And uh, I gained a lot of uh, knowledge because of that. And I learned Natvangam from Dandai the Pandipulli because uh, he was, all these masters were very close to my father. They all treated my father like an elder brother. They used to call him Anna. And uh, they felt that I'm their own child. And masters used to vie with each other to pump in their knowledge into me. I was very lucky that way because I happened to be so-and-so's daughter. It was possible for me. You will be very surprised. There was a, a performance I did. Mm. It was I was part of a group, but I was doing one solo. That was, uh, I, I was at the time only Varura's disciple. The choreography was done by Guru Dandadapani Pillai. And Yallapa Pillai did the Natvangam for me. I don't think any other dancer could have had this great fortune. All that was possible because of my father's personality. And there was no clash. There was no clash. And what an experience it was to gain from each one of them. And when I think back, the knowledge that I gained, it was like some something like an osmosis which went into me, which was helpful to me in my research later years. See, for example, I learned something from Kamini Kumar Sinha, a great Manipuri master who used to be in Shantiniketan when Gurudev was alive. He was brought by my father to teach at Drityodaya. So I learned something for presenting what is called, you know, the 
Tagore's Dansama Shama for Tagore's centenary. So that was done in Manipuri style, in Shantaniketan style rather. And those movements, hand movements, later I found were uh, something very close to the Nrittahastas described in the Natashastra. Most of the Nrittahastas are there in Manipuri. So everything that I absorbed was useful in my understanding Natashastra. Could you tell us something about the environment you grew up in, Akka? Well, uh, the environment was very congenial because already my father was a pioneer in filmmaking. He was a lawyer to start with, but he, he is very affectionately referred to as father of Tamil cinema. It was he who brought to light Bharat Ratna Yama Subhlakshmi. D.K. Patama sang playback uh, for his songs. For, for his films, Jagaraj Bhagavadar, S.D. Subhlakshmi, Lalita Padmini, Ragini. So many of them had been brought to light. And people like N.G. Ramchandran and all these film magnets treated him like a, either a father or elder brother. And uh, they all used to come and go. And in my late teens, my father was uh, honorary state liaison officer to UNESCO. So UNESCO scholars would come and my father would insist. He said, doesn't matter if you don't understand. Sit and listen. Some day, some part of our conversation will be helpful. So that was a kind of atmosphere. And my mother was highly religious. She has composed hundreds of songs in music, uh, set to music also in Sanskrit and Tamil. She was a Vainika. She never performed outside. All that she would do is only sing and perform in front of her deity in her puja room. So that was my mother. And my father was the smallest circle that he could think of was at UNESCO level. So I was in between this kind of father and that kind of mother, and I could uh, get values from both of them. I am an amalgam of both, the tradition and the modern. Modern doesn't mean that uh, it was something non-Indian, because I would like to mention here, modernity need not be which is non-Indian. You can be very modern, you can still be Indian. This is my principle and this is what I had learned. You can be creative, but you can still be completely, completely based on this part of the earth. Because my tradition gives me a lot of scope for creativity. I don't have to ape the West to be creative. It's not only in jazz that the musician has the right to create, to innovate. I mean, he plays on the spot. It is not something preset. It is very close to our singing a raga alapana or singing kalpana swara 
and that is what sanchari bhava has to be uh-huh. now sanchari bhava is all taught everybody is being taught sanchari bhava sanchari bhava has to be performed by the artist out of one's own imagination on the stage at that time what comes today may not come tomorrow that is sanchari so we artists have so much uh, license as a liberty to be creative we can still be creative and we can still follow tradition this is the greatness of indian culture because only in india several centuries coexist in me several centuries are coexisting i was i am and i will be Uh-huh. so i feel i connect time past present and future through my art and this is what indian art allows so you don't have to uh, ape the west ape the west for your costume ape the west for your content you have every right to be completely indian and still be highly creative and without loss of values in the name of artistic expression what is the limitation any choreographer should have you express anything without vulgarity of course it's a question of choice one man's taste is another man's poison but i can only quote what the great saint poet in tamil avayar said she gave you know a new set of phrases for every alphabet some 2000 years ago this is what um, was given to kindergarten children to learn the alphabet what do we do now a for apple b for bat c for cat this is the kind of uh, phrases that we teach the children for everything she brought in an ethical value for a uh, she said aram shriya virumbu that means aram means dharma be desirous of being dharmic is what is given for that one alphabet a and in the same way for o uppura ulugu that means behave in such a way that the society will accept you if we can keep that as our principle even in artistry then you made it the purpose of art is not only to entertain the purpose of art right from the days of natyashastra is to elevate if every artist can think i am going to take this concept i am going to present it in such a way it will elevate the thought of my audience you will be all right you will be accepted see there is a whole language that is there which has been created through our hand gestures and body movements what you convey is something which depends on the personal character and conviction 
of the artist. And that reaches the Rasika. And it is also according to his taste that he chooses the artist. So, like how water finds level, artist and audience find, find themselves. What are the most important qualities of a guru that the current generation of classical dancers should imbibe? Well, uh, if you're really a great guru, if you're an ideal guru, first of all, you the guru must be knowledgeable, must have complete control of body and mind, both body and mind. And a guru is like a parent to the student. And uh, if you're a good guru, what you would at least attempt is to produce the best of disciples, give, keep on giving, and don't sell the art. You donate. You donate the art and not sell it. Art is not for sale. Art is for donation. It is for donation of knowledge to the student, donation of entertainment and elevation to the spectator. So the guru has the responsibility. If, if you are an ideal guru, I am not going to say everybody should follow what I am saying. I am not asking all of you to take it word back in and uh, follow because I am not a I'm not giving a sermon because you asked me a question. I'm talking about an ideal guru. It is for the gurus today, the young teachers, to do some self-retrospection and find if they are ideal gurus. Yes. If they are gurus or traders. Aha. This is such an eye-opener, Akka. My next question to you is that what are the social responsibilities of a dancer, of a classical dancer, beyond teaching and performing? Well, this is very important for every artist to remember that artists also have a social responsibility. We are part of the society. We are, we are part of the family. We are part of the society. And we can't forget another thing. The family is the basic unit of a society. So, the artist has to bring good name to the family. Kulachara is important. If I do some mistake, it affects my entire family. And if I want to contribute as an artist, there are several ways. If you don't have the money, you can do Shramadan. Shramadan is something which I love in um, Sikhism, I have seen um, some of the Sikhs, they, they come in a big limousine car, they'll park, I've seen this with my own eyes in Punjab, they'll park the car, they'll come down, they'll get into an apron, and they will be carrying, um, you know, sand and stone and bricks for renovation of their Gurudwara. It is a Shramadhan that they do. 
it's a great punya and we artists have a responsibility for example when this covid situation which is uh, actually shaking the entire humanity and seeing in the television the corona patients have no no uh, oxygen bed they don't have a place they, they are not even in the veranda i saw in the television they are open to the sky and they are lying on the ground and what we artists can do is collect something through our art make use of our, our art collect and that way i must appreciate a young group of dancers who have organized in under the name of samarpana they started this almost a year ago and they have helped indigent artists and they asked me recently what how i can help them i said i'll be happy to do a workshop for them free completely free on my side and make full use of that and collect as much money as possible they said we'll be able to do it with your name i said make full use try and uh, normally for workshops i don't take more than 20 or 25 people because they become stamp size in the screen it's so difficult to teach dance like that but then uh, they told me more than 120 people have applied and what do we do i said i'll take all of them i accepted they were from different parts of the world and uh, it was like uh, my my disciple dr gayatri kandan and uh, her daughter mahati they both helped me technically they created pages i taught all 120 of them two songs one in tamil one in sanskrit in three days workshop i did and i was extremely happy to know that samarpana collected 6 lakhs in three sittings it is going to help the corona patients samarpana is going to buy equipments they are going to buy oxygen buy anything connected with the corona treatment and five uh, government hospitals in chennai will be donated they will donate all this so i'm only telling you what i did so any artist has got a responsibility towards the society this is important we are part of it we cannot say i'm alone nobody is alone the individual is connected with the entire creation this is what my hindu philosophy teaches and this is what science has taught us now so the hindu philosophy at that highest level and science at the highest level tell us that the individual is never alone the individual is part of the whole with choreography how should one inspire young people to know more about cultural aspects of india see these days dance uh, students come for uh, classes for one hour maybe two hours a week and that's all they don't have any other interaction with the guru 
and uh, uh, it is not only in america it has happened it's happening in india also there's uh, in fact some of the children who are in the first grade don't even watch their immediate senior group second grade children they learn some uh, more complicated adults the first year children don't even see them there is no exposure this is what i'm saying trying to say yes. there is no exposure and when they come uh, to say 18 19 they have too much exposure lot of exposure to wrong things also not always to the right things and uh, there is no guidance there is no moral guidance there is no guidance from a cultural point of view many of these kids don't even know ramayana they don't know mahabharata there was uh, one quiz for children they didn't know the names of uh, uh, characters in mahabharata so how do you think they will uh, react I mean, teach them krishna ni begane baru which krishna is this the neighbor's child what is the relationship that's why i say you can't do justice to any indian classical dance unless you know our epics unless you know something of our philosophy something we have three main streams of philosophy any one of them at least you follow any one dvaita or advaita or vishishta advaita follow any one philosophy or buddhism or jainism something based on india indian tradition the foreigners come they learn all this and they do a better job they stick to indian tradition because there is a necessity for them to learn when something is very easily available you don't care for it when tamil we say one phrase when a herb a medicinal herb is growing at the backyard of your house you don't even take a second look at it it's not respected basically indian children must be taught to respect indian tradition they can question nothing wrong but questioning must be uh, in such a way it should sound polite and it should sound like a thirst for knowledge and not to corner some elder in the family or the guru there's a way of putting it the bark is so important that's why we have the same in thought word and action these three refinement in your thought will bring refinement in your word and that refinement will bring refinement in your action extend it to dance only then you will be a refined dancer see some children don't even know to bring the hands together when they see the guru or any say 
the senior dancers, senior artists. Children don't even know that they have to bring the two hands together. Much less bow. It's again, it's you're talking about body language. If you don't know body language in your daily life, what the hell are you going to do with your body language on the stage? The body language is very important. And for that, certain values in life, the way you walk, your gait gives the impression of what kind of person you are. Uday, what you wear, something decent. What I think is decent may not be appealing to somebody else. It is not that. It should be acceptably covering your body. Not inviting. Another way, if a girl, I went into to a college and asked girls, we are talking about uh, women's liberation. Fine. We are already liberated. In India, the lady is already liberated. We are Ardhana Rishura. We are half man, half woman, already there. And if you want respect or rights, you start thinking about it. You want your rights or you want to be respected. All the girls shouted respect. I said, if you want respect, you have to be respectable. If you are respectable, respect will automatically come to you. And the rights will also automatically come to you. If you are a respected person, you will get all the rights under the sky. So basically, the way in which we project ourselves and that projection in reality will also get reflected on the stage. What is that thing in Indian classical dance that can be adapted to match the current trend in art? Trend is something that we create. This is what I believe. I create the trend. I don't have to follow somebody else. This is my conviction. I have that conviction. I will create the trend. And I have created the trend, thank God. And many have followed me. They've copied me. I know many people uh, are pirating. Definitely, but uh, I would tell them, come and learn. Because when you pirate by copying the video, <clears throat> it may not be perfect. My school has opened doors. Learn well and then perform. And don't try to copy and don't start teaching. That's even more dangerous. So the trend is you finish the so-called Arangate room and immediately start your own dance school, wherever you are. 
you need to be a little more responsible toward your own art. Trend will be something which we create. It is in our hands. You don't follow others. You make your own path. And that path must be something based on what we inherited. We must make sure that the next generation must desire, yearn to be a new root in the banyan tree and not grow like a mushroom. Don't become a mushroom. Become part of the banyan tree. Then you will be more permanent. Today, we have an abundance of online learning material. On one end, students who don't have access to good learning material greatly benefit from it. But on the other side, there is a risk of lessons being learned wrongly. And then even further taught wrongly to others, like how you were talking about. So this facility could either act as a boon or a bane. Could you kindly shed some light on who should access this knowledge and how it should be used? It's difficult because you have raised a question and you're also giving the answer. There are two <laughs> sides fine. Except one thing, be sincere to your own self. Then you will not do a mistake. Learn. Learn properly. Now, technology is a must, particularly during the pandemic. Definitely. I'm also teaching online. There is no other go. You can't stop. Things have to go. We have to go on. So we have to make use of the technology. And teachers have to teach. And uh, there should be sincerity on both sides. Teacher and the student. That's the only way. It's a moral binding. You can't put it on record. And I can't give a sermon. That's why I said it has to be done to your own conscience satisfaction. My final question, Akka. What is your advice to artists who are entering the professional world of classical dance? Well, uh, <clears throat> like any other profession, or I would say even dance as a profession is much more difficult. Unless you are really uh, committed, committed to be a professional dancer, it is very difficult. To be passionate admirer or a devotee of dance is, a daf, uh, is totally another thing. When you don't depend on dance for your living, then it is easy for you. Have something else for, for your living and treat dance as a passion and not profession. You'll be much better dancer. Profession has come to mean 
something something like being a uh, taking dance to a business level of course there are there are certain other uh, um, issues like the art of presentation if you are a professional dancer there is an art of presentation you have to be adept in that if you want to be dancing only for your own satisfaction you can dance even at home like many of us are doing during the pandemic there is no um, dance activity outside the house but you are still happy you are in touch with your art and touch with the world through the technology that gives you the scope but as a profession even before pandemic many young dancers never got a chance to dance number 1 and uh, i had heard of uh, complaints from young uh, generation that even to dance in the sabha you have to spend money and dance i am totally against this totally my disciples will not go pay and dance i have told them they will not do it they can dance free that doesn't matter even if they are not paid doesn't matter but they should not pay and dance because it brings down not only that individual artist it pulls down the respect of the art it is difficult but only when there is merit you can you can be in the field for years and years together either as a dancer or teacher choreographer and to have that merit you have to do sadhana nothing comes easily so god's grace guru's blessings and your own sadhana is what will help you thank you so much akka for taking the time to speak with us and impart your knowledge to all of us it was truly inspiring and i'm i'm humbled i'm truly humbled thank you so much god bless you nice talking to you all the best you're doing lovely job So I hope this interview with Guru Dr. Padma Subramanyam was insightful and hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. For more information, log on to our website www.kalatapasya.com. For quicker updates, you can follow us on our social media pages Kalatapasya. See you soon. Kalatapasya